Hello. Hi, Ronnie. Hi. What's happening? You? How are you? Yo, yo, yo. Want to talk about lacrosse balls? Oh, yes. You know this one. I do. Lacrosse balls and hamstrings mm-hmm. in the IT band, mm-hmm. hip flexor. Mm-hmm. You know, get it up in the pectorals. Mm-hmm. That's in the chest. Mm-hmm. Get it up in the the the, la- the lats in the mm-hmm. back, and the you know in the side of the back mm-hmm. wing on the yeah. yeah yeah. Just getting it in there and crushing up some myofascial tissue, breaking up some stuff from sitting too long. Uh, really helping with lower back issues. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, I I, I just. Love my little lacrosse ball. Oh, mm-hmm. standing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take two lacrosse balls day. and stand on them. Yeah, that way you can't cheat and just like take weight yeah. off. It uh, helps with the plantar fasciitis. Yeah, the plantar fasciitis, yeah. huh? Well, and you yeah. know, I think some of the theory on it is, you know, when you have an issue like lower back, it's not your back that's the issue. It's right. something upstream, like up your back or, or downstream, downstream, that's causing it. Yeah, which is. There could be something in your back. Sure. You're one of totally. the, your vertebra. You got to check One it of out. those discs, right? Yeah. You got to get that looked at. Yeah. But it may be coming from something else. Something else. Yes. And that something else might could possibly be a lacrosse ball. Well, I mean, not the from issue, but like it. fixed by the <laughs> lacrosse ball. So I just recommend. They're not cheap. I mean, they're like four or five bucks a piece. Yeah. Unless you get a good pack on Amazon. It's good. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> Welcome to, or welcome back to, More In Common. This is our social experiment. See, everyone has a story that can help us learn from one another. And we bring people into this safe space that we have learned to create so we can learn about their stories and get into difficult topics that challenge us in conversation and ultimately how we think. And we have a lot of these conversations. And we're seeing a lot of similar threads through all of them. So what we're doing is breaking down these conversations to create a set of tools and a map that will help you become a conversation boss so that you can be a catalyst for conversation in your day-to-day life. All right. And, you know, we always have to remind you, www.moreincommonpod.com. See, I tried to clean up my W's that time. Hopefully it worked. Um, but go check us out. You can find us everything there. You know, and you know, if you're feeling punchy, feeling generous, and you want to leave us a review on your favorite um, podcast listening application, feel free. Um, we'd love to. We'd love it. it. Gets us more listeners and gets our gets our message out there more. So, again, www.moreincommonpod.com. Now, that being said, Rodney Nick Jones Jr. Like, tell me what you took away from that episode. Uh, You know what, man? There's nothing wrong with the way you get after those W's. I like it. I like (laughs) it a lot. And Nick Jones Jr., I (laughs) just, I I mentioned it in the intro to the episode. Story's not done. Story's not over. And keep going. And, and, And then to add on to what President Obama told him, no, pursue your pursue what you pursue your dreams pursue your goals like keep going use the tools that you have at your disposal he had the gi bill he wasn't even using it and bam he went to film school learned to write did it bam dreams happen doesn't always happen like that but get out like try just just try i like i love that about his story and um 
Uh, yeah. What about you? Yeah. No, I, and for me, and like, I look at all my notes from that, from that call and the, the overarching theme for me is just the representation of how he is not like, we aren't all monoliths, even if we have some sort of demographic that we fall into, like he's, you know, a showrunner for Japanime and he writes, you know, in many different styles and he, you know, is a Marine, a proud Marine. Right. Um, and he's just he's just a dynamic personality that stays true to who he is. And I just love that. And you know, it, it really helps, I think, break down some unconscious biases. Like when you think about a marine, oh wait, you're you're a writer too, right? Um, tell me more about that. And really get to know somebody and for, for who they are, not just the thing that you think they are. So I mean, just a just a wonderful um person to know and I'm very glad we had a chance to talk to him. So today, we have Q. Q Washington. Tell us about him. Q has been working with human beings for over 30 years, and he loves almost every second of it. He studied biblical studies at Biola University and completed his AA at Fullerton College. For the last eight years, he's been able to pour his mind, body, and soul into a frontline relational evangelism ministry in Hollywood called Broken Hearts where he currently serves as the executive director. Prior to Broken Hearts, he invested his time into various communities in the Los Angeles and Orange County areas, from planting churches in Watts with World Impact to soup kitchens in Costa Mesa with Rock Harbor Church to leading sports camps and youth groups with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. In addition, he is a coach on the USA Traveling Women's Flag Football Network team. That's right, we have a USA Women's Flag Football team, and he's a coach. And he's a coach of the She Unit in the Women's Flag Football Network. He's a kind soul and a great human being, and it is our pleasure to sit down with him and connect. Keith, what did we talk about with Keith? My, my goodness. I mean, after that bio, you could probably get a good, good sense of things. But we definitely talk a lot about being a, a male coach in a Women's Flag Football Network. Um, the use of the word girl which uh, I think is a really interesting part of this conversation. And then, you know, just all of it. And then, of course, we talk a lot about his, you know, Broken Hearts ministry and what it is and what it means to him. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a great, great conversation as always. Any, any observations from this one? There was a very, we, we, we get into a conversation about um, calling women, women or girls. And, I was very like even I thought about it when the, when we were when, when we were talking and I was like I want to I want to ask this but I was like I don't know how to ask it and I think it was it, I think that's reflective in the way I asked it like it's very uncomfortable it doesn't just come out because mm. it was not it was not comfortable and I think sometimes there's questions we got to ask that are that we want to ask that are just going to be messy and that's okay especially if you're in a space with people that you can trust and you, that have your interests at heart. So it worked out. Yeah. Keith, what, um, <clears throat> what conversation tips you going to drop on a, us for today? This one I've actually thought a lot about as a result of this episode, but uh, subcultural context, right? So when we're talking about the use of the word girl, um, it's, it's used within the flag football network and no one within it is offended. But then we talk a little bit about how if you use it within the corporate culture, 
you know, you're going to have a different response. And I think having that subcultural context, especially when you're trying to meet people where they are, it's very relevant and something to always keep, keep in mind when you're going to say something or you're receiving something somebody said um, and, and offense may be taken or, or perceived, right? Um, and then accepting when you're wrong, which falls within that. Like Q says, and you'll hear it, um, if he were offending someone, he would definitely change, right? So um, those, those are just two things. When in any conversation, like they, they become very relevant depending on what it is you're talking about. So, um, but oh, yeah. so I want to I wanna come in with observation 2.0. It is also interesting that we, we're three men talking about it. And yeah. I think it's good that we're talking about it. I also want to put a note for me and you to start asking some of our female guests what they think. Yeah. Good to get the context from somebody actually influence or uh, actually have a um, an opinion on it because they yeah. might be called both or that's fair no it's good all right well get after as, it as always enjoy the show for those that are experiencing brokenness um and brokenness, we say, looks differently no matter where you're at. So whether you're housed or home, you can have an experience of brokenness. Um, whether you're um, living in addiction or whether you're experiencing mental health concerns, you can experience a bit of brokenness. Um, you know, or, you know, you could be in a Fortune 500 company and just balling out of your, you know, out of your mind, and you could still be experiencing that brokenness. And 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 the common thing for us is that. Um, we like to say that we've all experienced some type of brokenness in our life, some way, shape, or form. And um, yeah, who wouldn't love to have some justice? in my case 20,000 trainings to be able to go all right uh, I can I can grow a little bit there right and even after I grow there's still areas that I need to grow in I might regress you know I might shrink down for you know a moment or two in life but there's still opportunity for it to go and, and the only way to do that is to just keep being um, transparent and available and raw and authentic and right in their face with it Here we are, we're back, and uh, we are with Q, Mr. Washington. Hey, hey. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's great to be here. I'm glad that I was able to be able to hang with you guys for the next hour or so. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we got it together. Uh, it's kind of weird because I figured we would be doing this together since we're neighbors and all, <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes you got to go remote. Hey, sometimes you got to make it work. Thanks for joining us, though. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So, Q, you operate a nonprofit that, quite frankly, in just short, right, is built to help the homeless across Los Angeles. Absolutely, yes, sir. Now, we're going to get to that, right? Instead, 
let's talk about coaching women's cycling. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you get into it? Uh, tell us more about like the ecosystem, the league, the reach. Um, there's a national team that you're coaching on, right? This is I'm very curious to hear more about your your experience getting to this point. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Um, so I guess it, it really starts uh, in my own career. I played football for quite a long time, all the way throughout college, and um, I had an opportunity to uh, either kind of transfer over from the California, the Southern California area to go to the University of Miami or to stay in Southern California and finish out school here and potentially start what uh, eventually became a nonprofit, which is the nonprofit that I run. And so I opted for the latter. And uh, while I was here, I was at a school called Biola University and uh, they had a women's flag football and men's flag football um, college rec team and and so uh, one of the guys who lived next door to me one of my best friends named Jason he came up to me and was like yo these girls want uh, me to coach them for flag football is there any way that you can help out and so I really got sucked in the first year and the first year we got crushed I mean we were like oh and eight or something like that and uh you know bloody fingers and, and <laughs> girls giving up and um us coaches being frustrated and trying to figure it out but uh both jason and i were the type of guys that were just like you know we're just gonna hit the drawing board and, and try to come with the best thing we could offer forward for each game and every game we just got crushed and uh, at the end of the season we thought okay cool we did them a favor uh, we, we, we practiced and, and, and played with them throughout the season. We coached them. We did the best that we can do. I'm sure these girls don't want to play at all. And sure enough, at the end of the season, they give Jason and I some gifts and beg us to come back for another season. And I'm like, these girls just must like just being, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, having adversity. And so uh, um, we we begrudgingly agreed to it and uh, so along went our trials and tribulations but also um, small victories and eventually success until a point in which we started uh, dominating that competition and it took us about two or three years to figure things out and we tweaked it time by time but eventually maybe after the fourth year um, it was hard for us to be beat uh, and sometimes hard for us to be scored upon and I think in, in that 15 year span we we won about nine championships, and um, that's within the school locally, and um, and then regionally against uh, other conferences, colleges within our conference. Uh, we won, I want to say, three championships, beating one team that hadn't lost in six years and hadn't been scored on in four years. So it was kind of a journey, right? And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a journey. And so. Uh, after 15 years of that, I had a blast. I said, all right, I'm going to retire. I'm done. I, I kind of kicked my shoes off and moved from like the Orange County area up to LA. And um, about three years into my retirement, I met a gal who was a female quarterback and she quarterbacked in a men's league and she quarterbacked in a co-ed league. And she approached me and said, hey, her coach had uh, kind of left and she'd heard a little bit from one of my former players that I had coached. And uh, she brought me onto a team called She Unit, 
which uh, 50, if you're out there, um, we could definitely use some support, man. That G unit. Looking for sponsorship. You know what I'm saying? That G unit, C unit connection. Shush, shush, shush. That's, what, she, you, that's yeah. what we do. That's our tier. You got it, bro. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so she invited me out and I went to one tournament. And you know how you like, you fall in love with the thing that you already are already in love with. Um, that's what I felt like when I came back, man. I had all like goosebump feelings. I couldn't sleep the night before the tournament happened, and um, we were right back at it. And um, um, we've had some really fun success in that team. That team gave me the exposure to be recognized out in Vegas at an um, international tournament by uh, the creator and founder of Women's Flag Football Network. Uh, his name's Norman Carter, and uh, uh, just through our interactions and seeing me coach and, and having a couple of meetings off the field, uh, we were able to connect in a way in which he thought that I would be a, a good asset to uh, a team that was being formed called uh, the Women's Flag Football Network USA team. And so um, that happened last year. Uh, we're, we're almost coming up on a, a year of that, the inception of that team, and uh, I'm the head coach there. We've got a great coaching staff. Um, Chris Langford out of Texas. Uh, this guy's won, I, I want to say, maybe more national titles than I have fingers on my, <laughs> on my hands. Um, and he coaches a, a women's team called Adrenaline here in the States. Uh, a couple of other different variations of names too as well. And, uh, and then we've got a coach out of Maryland, D.C. area called Glenn Bell. Uh, one of the best defensive coaches I've ever uh, been able to work with. And he coaches a team called Capital Punishment, CP. And uh, these guys, they're national champs locally, but we go out and we compete internationally versus countries all over the world um, in, in three different formats. And it's an absolute blast. Um, we've been pretty blessed. <laughs> That's dope. The thing about this for me is understanding that this is like it's it's huge. I mean, it's international. Like, do you do you get sponsorship? Like, how many teams are there in the states? And how many leagues are there in the states? And then, you know, what's that landscape look like internationally? I'm just curious. Yeah, especially for any listener who's interested in getting into flag football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the flag football game in the U.S. is, is huge. I mean, there's thousands of leagues across the board for both men's and women's, and the men's leagues have really picked up so much in a way that I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's a, a, a tournament that takes place now. It, it started last year uh, where uh, people are competing with uh, pros and former pros uh, to, uh, in a tournament to win a million dollars. And uh, yeah, not yeah, and so the NFL Network has picked it up, and they broadcast it. You can you can catch uh, a bunch of the games. Uh, Fighting Cancer <laughs> uh, was a team that won last year. Um, they're out of Louisiana, and and so they they compete um, year round in the circuit. And I, I play on a men's league that kind of competes year round on the circuit. But the women's game is also in that same vein. It just has not had as much traction. And the national sense, as we've seen it have, and the international sense. But within the Women's Fly Football Network, um, there's, again, uh, thousands and thousands of women's teams in the U.S. Uh, who predominantly play an 8-on-8 contact, uh, but there's also 7-on-7 non-contact and 5-on-5 non-contact. And um, those are the, 
the main three. And um, for, for that, when you're talking about the tournaments, you're, you, you've got sponsorships that, uh, you know, range from, you know, Adidas, Nike, Gatorade. I don't know if uh, that new sports drink, Body Armor, has got into it, but um, I know that we're open to having conversations with them if they're interested. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, we've got some girls that are sponsored um, by different, you know, companies and organizations. We got one girl that's sponsored by Adidas. Um, she actually was on oh, wow. ESPN. She has her name's uh, Michelle Rowe. She has a uh, pretty sick clip. Uh, she's out of Florida, and oh, I know. Yeah. Yes, I know exactly <laughs> yeah. who she is. She, her highlight reel is yeah. Silly. She's got a silly highlight reel. So she's she's awesome. Um, I think actually the first play from uh, the first play from. Rimmage that she was on a USA team. Uh, she ran back. She did a cutback uh, dive and and hit it for a 62-yard touchdown or something like that on the first play. It was pretty nice. But um, yeah, that's how the sponsorships work, kind of uh, nationally and then internationally. Um, teams are sponsored by so many different companies internationally too, as well. And so we we uh, we've got a number of tournaments coming up. I think. Um, one that will be huge in October of 2019 is our Nassau Bahamas tournament, which is kind of cool. We, you know, get to go to the Bahamas and also yeah. uh, we get to, you know, play against different countries and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then every two years, it's kind of like a, an opportunity for us to uh, jump into like a World Cup aspect. And, and that's for the five on fives. Last, uh, I guess, a year and a year ago. Uh, we were in Panama, the USA team representative there was in Panama for fives and we won a, uh, we won a world championship there beating Panama, which is a very good team. But Panama, Mexico, all these teams, you think that their, their game is football, like the soccer, but they're, well, I was going to ask, I was going to ask what's the international competition because American football, from what I would presume or, or, or assume probably incorrectly that American football is just not that big in the rest of the world, so flag football would follow the same suit, but no. Yeah, no, I was I was definitely surprised. In the eight on eight game where there's contact, we, we have the advantage. Um, but when they get there, and, uh, and when they start to acclimate to the eight on eight, they're gonna be right there with us. But in the five on five and seven on sevens games, um, the pitch game is so um, prevalent and, and so we, you have a lot of teams that are shifty and fast and very, uh, you know, cerebral and they're aware of spacing and they pitch well. And, and we were in Mexico, that we were in by, outside Mexico City, uh, probably one of the biggest tournaments that uh, we've been in. And um, their, their whole town and city gets up for these games and for these tournaments. Oh, really? and yeah, it's so cool. And, and one quick... One quick story about our, our, our ladies there. There was a girl that we have that um, she goes with us. She's a wonderful lady. Her name's Joe Overstreet. And um, she does a lot for the community for women's flag game and so on and so forth. But when she goes to spaces and places uh, across the world, there it, there are like little groupies <laughs> that are there following her. Just because her personality, like her, yeah, the, yeah, player, yeah. the player, you know, she's infectious. She's just, um, she's approachable and she's kind and she's, an amazing athlete. Um, she's got the Odell Beckham style um, 
mohawk going on with the bleach tips and so on and so forth and she can make all the catches and all the moves like that too as well as a receiver but um i remember one time we we were you know just about to end the game and um uh you know coach was finishing up talking for you know their team and so on and so forth and the next thing you know uh, five people just kind of show up out of like stage left and just like come on let's go and <laughs> Or little groupies go so it's it's kind of neat that's but, right uh the, the the community for flag is infectious um i know i kissed a lot of babies <laughs> over the sure. journey of my my tournaments um the parents and everyone that's around you know because the age the age range kind of um for adult league it goes from 18 we've got 40 plus year olds playing and um it's cool to be a part of it too as well does any do you think any of it has to do with the fact that it's just like you mentioned that she's approachable. Do you think the game is just more approachable? Like more people feel like they can participate either personally or like kissing baby. Like they can actually interact with you and the players versus like NFL or anything like that. It's just so, there's such a gap. Absolutely that. And, and, and speaking of the gap, uh, the, the space when you're on a sideline for a flag football game or a tournament, you're, you're about six yards away from where all the action's happening. You're, you're almost yeah. just as close as the players are, you know? And some of the tournaments, you are just as close as the players are if the refs don't say anything. And so that automatically, uh, it, it erases any wall that there might be in terms of uh, there being, you know, a, a distance between it. And so I know a lot of players, we engage, we do things to try to get the crowd pumped up and involved. Uh, and my, my kill em, play em days when I was, you know, and and I had a, a non-torn ACL over here, and, and um, I was a little bit lighter in the in the feed and younger. Um, I used to carry a uh, for a couple of games a sharpie in my in my socks, and I would okay, take yeah, right. and I did this before <laughs> Terrell actually, which is crazy. So this was like so this was like two thousand and two, and I think Terrell did it like many years after that or something yeah. like that, right? So, uh -huh. yeah, this was like 2001 or 2002. And so um, uh, one, one day my mom was there and uh, she came and visited. She kind of flew in from uh, Northern California. And, and sure enough, I score a touchdown, I kick return, I get the Sharpie out, I sign the ball, I hand it to her. My friend gets it on, on tape and it, it's pretty cool. So that, that, that that's stuff is just a part of the flag game, right? You, yeah. You, you, yeah. You're able to do things that... You know, we don't have any, we don't have a lot of huge, like, penalties for celebrations and things like that. You can just have right. a blast. So, um, one thing that comes to, my, comes to mind in this, um, one thing that comes to mind, um, it's interesting, is that, or I'm curious, what is the uh, ratio of male to female coaches mm. in, especially when, you, you know, being a male coaching female flag football yeah. it's fascinating to me considering you know we continue to try to get females into the you know, coaching realm coaching realm mm -hmm. um and yet you know kind of makes sense are. though given i mean how many opportunities are there for women to play football outside of flag so like the from the knowledge base standpoint yeah but i'm just yeah, curious I think that's about the culture and how that how that plays out like yeah. it's, it's a non-judgment question obviously yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah. I, th I think the question's great, and I think Rodney really uh, uh, points out one of the key factors as you, why you would see a lot of male coaches is, you know, in the beginning process of learning the game, um, 
uh, a lot of women would be reaching out to males to just kind of get familiar with the game. And, and I've seen as the, the, their game has uh, advanced, some uh, women players are like, okay, I, I think I am uh, prepared enough now to take on this challenge and, and to, to step up into a role that looks you know, more familiar uh, to a coaching role. And so I know uh, out of Atlanta, we got um, a couple different uh, you know, owners and coaches of <clears throat> teams that are out there. Uh, one of the team's names is Reloaded. Uh, and Charmaine's the coach out there, and she, she's incredible. She's actually um, also um, is connected to one of our players on the uh, Women's Flag Football Network USA team. And, and so she's come out and offered great insight in, in regards to strategy and things like that for our coaching staff. Um, but there are, there are women out there coaching or leading teams where there's, there's player coaches. You'll see that a lot in the women's game, uh, especially nationally where uh, you'll have 16 girls out there um, led by either their, their captain QB or their, you know, their captain linebacker, and they run uh, a well-tight, uh, you know, well-knit, put-together system um, and are very hard to beat because uh, most of the time when they're coaching in that aspect, uh, these ladies have been playing together for many years. So, so yeah. do you see it? you see it on the rise now that the, the ecosystems have been around longer and yeah, as soon as they get like, as soon as they get comfortable enough with being able to make those calls and and not feel like they've got to just focus on playing, then that's yeah. when you see it start to adjust and bend. And then in terms of in terms of the coaching aspect, in my my opinion, uh, I think it's always better to have a coach removed from being a player, only because then you you know you can you can play within that role that you have as an athlete. And the coach can play within that role. And then anything that you do in the game that's coach-like, your thought process, your anticipation and stuff like that, then you know, you implement those things and and those teams seem to have the most success, in my opinion. Well, Roddy Roddy and I are former flag football champions hey. for UV University. Hey. <laughs> Still got my shirt. Let them know. <laughs> we we were we were player coaches. Yeah. We were we were player Safety's, coaches. We, safety we, we set it up and that team was. It was a situation though was, where, um, so the year prior, the year prior, like the talent on the team is stupid. Right. Like, pro- several people on the team should have been on the on the on the college, on the college team. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these <laughs> practice squad. Right. And like, or not should have is not the word. They, they it is possible that they could have made the squad. Right. Um. And so, but we went out and like put together a horrible season. We're like, what is going on? And Keith and I started talking and we were looking at it. It's like everybody wanted to do everything. Mm. And so we were like, all right, we're going to call a practice. We're going to be coaches. We're going to organize the play. Like we're going to do what the coaches do. Like we're going to organize your quarterback, your receiver. You can throw the ball, but you're the receiver because you're the best receiver on the team. And like we put everybody in roles and it was like, and we actually – we're somewhat concerned about it at first because it's like a lot of very talented, outspoken, talented, type A personalities, type mm-hmm. A individuals, mm-hmm. and we're like, how are they going to respond to like these two dudes being like, all right, we're coaching y'all mm-hmm. up, and they snapped to it, and then we just went undefeated. Like it was. So let's go back to the uh, let let's take a let's take a trip in the way way back machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun talking. About Wait, I have a question real quick oh, on. Yeah, yeah, just this is something I like to ask, like, because I'm very literal. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, so 
referring to women, sometimes women, sometimes girls, sometimes ladies, like, and I do this, everybody does it, like, we, how we refer yeah. to women is very different, yeah. and I think it's different for different reasons. Um, do you have a thought on it? Have you had a conversation yeah, with so, any women about it? Like, so, so I've had, I have a thought on it, and, I, and, and in general, um, I think the language is, is, is a lot of times it's built within the context of the person that you're speaking to. Um, and, and so when you're speaking on a large platform to people who might be all across the world, um, it will vary as to how people receive the, the statement that you're saying. And so, you know, if you're writing it down, it has no tone, right? If you're speaking right. it ver- vocally, then they may be able to hear the tone of the context of the situation. And so uh, whatever word you're using, if you're speaking it, uh, make sure the context and the tone is in a way in which is uh, respectable to all, to all situations. Um, for myself, um, I've had conversations with people who, if you call them women or you call them ladies, um, they're, they're great with it. But if you call them a girl, they might be offended by that. Um, and, and I've had some that will say like, Hey, you can, all of those three things are true about me. And it, it really matters on how, like if you're, if you're, if you're trying to demean me by that statement and so on and so forth. And so, um, I really just try to keep my ears open and I, I share those words, whichever one I use in love. And if for some reason it's not received in love, I'm pretty, I'm able to pick up those things pretty well. And, and, and can switch the language and change the language to what they might be mm-hmm. more um, Do you, happy if with. If you say, like, girl is the big one, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Especially nowadays. I mean, generally speaking, we don't refer to guys as boys. It's guys yeah. as men. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you, if you sense that, like, do you call it out or acknowledge it uh, so it doesn't linger maybe in their mind even if you shift your tone and approach or uh, yeah it depends on it depends on how tense the situation is right so if I say if I said the word girl and I, I felt like you know it was a slight like oh, I don't know if I'd use that and I might just switch the language to like women or female or ladies or so on and so forth and see if that's smooth or whatever if I feel like there was like a more like use me or well that's definitely a direct way but if I felt like it was a little bit more intense, be like, you know what, girl may have not been the best word to use there. We would say women, and like just kind I'm, of engage with that person. We would say, you know, ladies, and then uh, right. and go from there. But it, I think it's more like training within my own mind uh, to be aware if it, you know, it could be taken in an offensive way. Go ahead, Rodney, sorry. I've been on teams... There's been plenty of teams I've been on where it's like, all right, boys, we got this. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I, if I was called a boy in just my general daily life, like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be cool with that. Right. So, depending on who said it and how they said right. it. But, like, in that context, do you think a lot, any of it has to do with the, the culture of sports or teams or the team that you're coaching at the moment? Certainly that, yeah. So I think culture has a, a played a, a, a role in it. The team aspect has a role in it. Um, but those all speak to the tone. They all speak mm-hmm. to the context right, 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 of the yeah. situation, right? Yeah. So, like, if someone just saw me on the street, it's like, boy, come on over here. You know, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. like, Wait a second. <laughs> Time out. But if it's, like, if it's like me and I'm like, what's up, my boy? Like, right. But if it's a like collective, right? And I'm like, all right, girls, we're coming over. We're, we're coming this way. We're like, all right, ladies. Like, if I'm interchanging that and we're like running a 
drill or something like that, nobody's really thinking about, in my experience, that I've had engagement with or I felt like they were offended by it, um, me saying girls plural to them in reference to the fact that we're going to jump into this drill now. Um, mm-hmm. But again, if that were ever the case, uh, you know, we, we are very, you know, I'm, I'm very much willing to say, all right, let's switch that from girls to ladies or ladies to women and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Well, it's interesting, too, because in, in your example, Rodney, Disco Boys, we will often hear corollary among females. All right, girls, like girl mm-hmm. party, girls trip. Like when you're in the group. Mm-hmm. When you're you in the group, like you're, you're part of it versus mm-hmm. a man referring to a, a female or a woman as a girl, right? And what's what I find interesting, too, and then I have a question, is um, in that context, we hear it a lot. But in, like, corporate context or business or social mm. or casual context, you will Don't hear you. girl far more than you'll hear boy, mm. right? And so then it leads to the question, because I, I, I love your approach to self mm self-awareness and stuff like what do you think about just not saying it at all versus um having to navigate the nuance of each situation yeah i mean um if if someone were to not say it at all and they were kind of to strike it out of their language i think that would probably be up to that own individual um in terms of they, they've come to the conscious decision i don't think now again i'm not trying to be insensitive to the scenario but i don't totally. think the word is as triggering um, to the female population as let's say the n-word would be to the to the black population right I don't think it's in that same vein or world or in a, in, you know uh, you know context and the way that you're saying it for sure yeah you know, right but you know I, I, I would you know you, you made that 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 um, a statement about you know, when the girls are saying it, you know, it, it's, it's all like celebratory and they're all with it. But if it comes from a guy's point, like I think if Jay-Z had uh, made the song that his wife Beyonce made, who runs the world? Girls, it would have been kind of weird, right? It like, <laughs> For a lot of reasons. Yeah. Who run the, who but I can the, sing it. Like that's, <laughs> right, that's a big I, difference know, between, like, yeah. you know. Um, but, but yeah. I, so yeah, I have so, a question. So almost, you bring up the N-word, and, or not a question, a thought. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk through this. So I thought about this a lot growing up because my mom brought it yeah. up, which is the part of the reason why I'm so freaking literal. Right. Um, but like, she's like, yeah, don't use the word girl. Like, you, people, don't, people don't call you a boy, or they call you a young man or a young woman mm-hmm. or a young girl. Like, and the, the disparity is so, especially in corporate, or I would say just general, like take sports, let's take sports as a unique case. Um, or maybe not. Let's just leave it. There's a thing in the world and culture where it's just saying it's almost just saying, yeah, not quite equal. Mm. Like you're a man, and I respect that mm-hmm. you're a girl, mm. and like because they literally mean different things, mm-hmm. and it's and it's not necessarily a conscious decision. Like I don't think that the individual saying it is trying to say. However. This has permeated culture so much that I think it's just a thing. Like, mm. we just don't see them as equal men, girls. Like, we just don't. And, and we, don't, we don't even realize it. It's so subconscious mm. that we just kind of do it. And so 
like maybe striking it and saying, hey, you know what? Like she works here at blah 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 corp. Like she's a woman. Like she's a grown woman. Like j just like like I would I and this has some some tones of being a black man. But like if somebody were to call me a boy at work, I would lose my shit. <laughs> like I would not be okay right, with that. Right. 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 It, and I mean, and and this is like, I think you bring up a great point here, right? Mm -hmm. Is this is one of those situations? I think it's elevated itself. It, it, nothing will elevate to to the n word, really, right? right? Um, so we're not talking about that elevation, but it's mm -hmm. elevated itself enough to the to the general social consciousness that you know we all have this conversation. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I think you bring up the good point, like. Like a lot of these situations, it's not necessarily going to bother a lot of people, mm -hmm. and it's going to bother a lot of other people, right? right? Yep. And I think yep. this is where that it that collective communication and connection to say, if if every single part of my day I'm around a group of female flag football players, right? Who, all use the word girl interchangeably. Right. I am part of that culture. I use the world word girl interchangeably. It just becomes part of my lexicon. Right. right? But, but, but going back to the corporate world, like, like, like Rodney's saying, in that scenario, there might be a situation, because I'm not engaged in that scenario in the corporate setting all the time. Like my right. corporate settings are smaller nonprofit, you know, very, very easy to engage with. When I'm engaging with people from other nonprofits, um, I don't use the word girl, right? I, it's not common. It's not commonly used because uh, if I'm talking to them, I'm probably just talking about, you know, contracts or solutions right. towards ending homelessness or things of that nature. But if it is used in a corporate setting in a demeaning way, often in a way in which the corporate setting is set up already to give disparity to, to the female population, then it is something that needs to be exa examined, challenged, conversations need to be sparked around that and engaged with. And whether we're doing it subconsciously or consciously, there is an effect that's taking place. And I, I, I think more people in the cor corporate set setting would be aware of that. I don't think it would oh. be an elephant in the room. I think they would be aware of that concept, yeah. And, and I think what to you, to that transition, right, is, you use this in your general, like in something that you do all the time, you may end up saying it, right? Just right. because it's part of what you do. <laughs> yeah. And you don't mean it any other way other than this is your background. Like this is what you've got going on in your daily life. And I right. think this is where it becomes really important is to say, hey, Q, um, what do you mean by girl? Right? Like, like to, to not, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, Q needs yeah, yeah. to go, you know, he's, demeaning me and subjugating me and making me feel less than let's let's ask the intent right like right what, what, what do you mean by that what why I've, I've never heard you say that before why are you why are you referring to her as a girl or even calling me a girl depending on the dynamics of the situation right yeah and and that those type of conversations are difficult to have right and most they of the really time are, yeah. most of the time we get to these situations where we're just like xing out words or xing out phrases or xing out all those things because uh, either we're not trained in a way or we're not comfortable in a way to ask the next pressing question, to ask the next difficult question, to clarify what that 
that that the word was intended to be, right? And so because right. it's harder to dive deeper into that type of conversation, we then just put up these walls around different things that we can or cannot do, which <clears throat> I, I'm not using this analogy to say I should be able to say girl or this or that and the other, but I'm just saying separate from that, we do have an issue around kind of diffusing what may not necessarily have been something intended to like bring right. harm or shame was to this actually right. intended to harm yeah. or yeah. Mm-hmm. right yeah. instead we just throw up like no nah, yeah. <laughs> he's out he's gone out for the rest of his yeah. life, rest we, of give, life. we give everything the n-word treatment essentially right. Right. like, do. like, like can't say it. like no this is a very different <laughs> yeah. word like this is so different. and, and, and I, I think said now not cow you thought he said cow but he said now and now you think that he was calling you fat and now yeah. it's, it's over it's a wrap yeah. no more cows you can't say cow can't say cow here <laughs> and, and, but we're a dairy and i think it just speaks so much to the um need to figure out how to effectively do that um you in your nonprofit, we'll get into the the whole nature of it but you have a 101 like a communication 101 um within that like how do you i think this is super relevant to the nature of our our podcast how do you help people feel more comfortable even if they don't use the right words they're choked up their stomach's churning but they need to say it right like they need to navigate that regardless of the response like how do you how do you help people do that yeah so i think for us we we are um in our training, we talk a lot about this practicing a posture, um, and and one of that, I, <laughs> one of the things I said earlier, as I straighten in, up, in terms of diffusing situations, a word that I used earlier was like gentleness, and I, I think um, if we have an approach of gentleness, it really it, it really allows for someone to um, be in a space where um, they're going to be kind with their words uh, and in their heart towards whoever it is. So if they're afraid to, to you know, make the, the question or statement, or if they feel offended by something in that way, even their response is going to be a response in gentleness. The other thing that we talk about a lot is um, we use uh, this, these two words uh, joined together, uh, grace and truth, um, in a lot of what we do. And so we try to, in our approach uh, to engaging with people, we try to have a spirit of grace in everything that we do. And, and what does that mean? So, like, what is, so what is grace that would be like uh, kind of an undeserved uh, forgiveness towards someone. Um, it's like a gift that you're going to give to someone. And I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to, I'm going to believe in the best of that person. I'm going to trust in the best of that person. I'm going to, I'm going to give them the gift of my um, attention, my respect, my love, my forgiveness, even if they don't yet deserve it, right? That's kind of the grace and kind of a little modeled off of what like the grace that God gives to us. And then the truth of the matter is, is that um, um, two parts. One of it is uh, what's true to their experience or what's true to their feelings. So they might be you know, experiencing something that they, they felt offended by, or they might be um, wanting to share to that other person, you know, that, you know, secondhand smoke kills, right? So that might be a truth that they give you, or drink, 
drinking and driving uh, can lead to fatalities. That might be a truth that they're giving, but they're also giving that w combined with this, this aspect of grace. And I think the, the thing that we talk about a lot when, when trying to make sure that you implement the both of those things is we ask people to look inside themselves. Because uh, oftentimes we live in a society that uh, we like to point the finger at someone else and you know, we'll, we'll definitely jump on someone else if they've done something wrong and so on and so forth. And we can talk for days uh, of like, look what that president did, you know, can you believe that he did that? Or look what that priest did over there, can you believe? Or that, that CEO of that company. But we don't oftentimes go introspective with ourselves and recognize that there's some ugliness within our own self that we did on the 405 freeway when it was jam-packed and <laughs> trying to get to work or trying to get to the location. I heard what you said underneath your breath. And so we, you know, we just like, let's be real. Can we be real with ourselves first? Can we, can we really recognize that um, we're not as high as we like to think we are? And, and then from that point, it goes, okay, all right, if we're, if we're humans and we're fallible and we make mistakes and we don't get everything right, then when we approach someone else, can we be gentle with them and can we share with them and truth with grace wrapped around that? And that's that's what we try to do with our. How do you get people to look inside? Because I, I, mean, I would agree for mm -hmm. sure, but it's scary, bro. <laughs> like you, 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 you take the hood off, yeah. start looking inside your head and it's, it's a, like yeah. often it's a mess. It's like, what did I just think that? Did right. I just that? Like. Well, how do you, how do you urge people to start? So one way I, I urge people to start the process, and again, we're we're a doer type of people. When we train, we like like to put actions into it. So um, if myself or someone's training in that regards, if we want someone else to look inside, we just basically look inside ourselves in front of them, which is kind of a vulnerable <laughs> place to be, right? And so sure, I, sure. you know, I lift up the curtain, and you get to see all the cobwebs and the spiders and the ugliness come out. And, and through that, uh, it sparks an opportunity for someone to be like, you know what, I can be uh, vulnerable in this space. And you know, the environment and the space has to be presented in a way that that works. And it doesn't always work at every training. It doesn't always work in every setting. You know? But you create an opportunity to give yourself the best opportunity for us to grow. And just like in our lives, you know, sometimes it takes two, three, four, five, ten. In my case, twenty thousand trainings to be able to go. All right, uh, I can I can grow a little bit there, right? And even after I grow, there's still areas that I need to grow in. I might regress, you know. I might shrink down for, you know, a moment or two in life, but there's still opportunity for it to go. And and the only way to do that is to just keep being um, transparent and available and raw and authentic and right in their face with it. Um, I think, I think you, you really represent something that we talk about with our structures of conversation. Mm -hmm. And that is, it's hard. <laughs> like, yeah. it's hard for you. Yeah. It's hard for me. Yeah. And if it's hard for you and it's hard for me, why don't we make it easier for each other rather than make it harder? Right. Like recognizing the fact that whatever it is, your life experience brings you to do something that you're going to do and whatever experience that my life brings to, to do something I'm going to do, like knowing that the journeys, the tribulation, like it, it's not day to day. It's hard and it's hard to interact and try. 
just try then because mm-hmm. you're both probably coming at it with maybe not the same but potentially a similar perspective mm-hmm. and difficulty right yeah so, yeah for sure so let's let's talk let's talk about your uh, nonprofit a little bit let's get into like what are you doing like how are you doing it what are you doing how'd you get into it why all of that like uh, where where did you right, come right. from that brought you to that place like through football and all that right so uh, man that's a journey in itself so you know i was young i was raised um for the most part in a single home uh, my mother my uh brother and i um for most of our years and um just uh my mother's phenomenal i know everybody's mom is phenomenal but <laughs> my mom just happens to be the most phenomenal of all of that so it's Putting it out there, you know, no disrespect to all those she, mothers. She'll out appreciate this. You're a guest. I'm not going to argue with you. mothers out there. I'm not going to argue with your guest. But my mama. <laughs> we'll let you win that battle. Right, just because you're right, the guest. Right. So, um, by the grace of God, I was, uh, my mom was approached by uh, one of her teachers. And um, the approach was not by the grace of God, but my mom's response, rather. Um, and she was approached by a teacher. Well, maybe it was. Right, right, right. But uh, her teacher said something so uh, shocking and so profound back in the early 80s um, that kind of just leaves me perplexed. But she actually uh, suggested that my mom get an abortion. Um, uh, she suggested that or she said, you know, that, you know, you'll end up on the streets or, you know, you know, you'll end up with, you know, kids in the system and so on and so forth. And, and she chose not to do that. Um, While she and, was pregnant with you? Or your yes. Yeah, 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 myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and so I, um, you know, I credit uh, a lot of the resilience um, that my mo- mother had in, in, that, in that terms to, to really be able to kind of persevere through that journey, and the task was not easy for her. She was very young when she had my brother and I. Uh, we grew up all three of us together, <laughs> and uh, and but she's resilient, and so um, our life, our childhood looked a little bit differently. We still, you know, played in the sand and you know went and had fun and did these things, but uh, we grew up a little faster. And a part of our time we spent, we spent uh, with her in her college years. She went to college in a year and a time in which we were, you know, old enough to figure things out and navigate things around. And so um, we went through the JC program with her. <laughs> we went through the uh, undergrad program with her. And uh, then when we were a little bit older, we were definitely. Oh, JC, junior, junior college. Junior college, sorry, yeah. 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 And then when we were older, because <clears throat> um, she kind of got them all in succession, uh, we were in her master's program. And her master's program was a program of social work. And so we would be uh, back in those days. It was okay to bring your kids to school. So we'd be in the some of the classes, you know, some of the night classes and so on and so forth um, at the social work level. And I felt like, you know, as a as a kid, I got a degree myself in social work mm-hmm. from early so on. You were auditing, you were auditing the right, classes, right, basically. Right. <laughs> early on, you know, that was before my college history. And so that kind of that kind of set me into that world of social work without me even realizing that I'd be about, you know, social justice and stuff like that. Um, A quick aside. Yeah, yeah. That it was okay to bring kids to school back then. I feel it seems that... Is it not okay today at night school? You know, that's a good question. I I haven't seen a lot of kids um, while I was in school 
while I was in college at night school, I didn't see a lot of them in the, in the classes, um, you know, day or night in that aspect. But um, a lot of colleges have now, you know, the daycare centers and stuff like that. And so, oh, I didn't know uh, yeah, they have a lot more of those now. Um, so I'm not really seeing a lot of kids going to uh, the, the actual classroom. Um, and then if they don't have the daycare center, I'm seeing a lot of uh, parents uh, give their, uh, take their kids to a daycare center somewhere nearby until they can you know, finish up the, the courses and stuff like that. So yeah, so yeah, so that was a little bit of you know, our aspect. And growing up, we, we were on uh, government assistance for like 13 years of our lives. So we were on welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was an aspect of ex- like learning the social justice aspect of the social work, living the social justice aspect of, uh, of, of social help and so on and so forth. So I was very familiar with it. I was familiar with like people's experience in it. I experienced it myself, experienced situations of not having a home, you know, um, and, and, you know, having to, you know, move from one city to live with the grandparents and so on and so forth. I've experienced kind of all of those different arrays. And uh, I think it kind of really helped shape uh, a passion for me uh, in, in this field itself. Um, so yeah, that's the first question I think you asked. Yeah. So quick uh, mm-hmm. digression. How do you feel about the vilification of welfare? Whew, man, I, I will say this. Uh, there's all there's already a ton of, well, not for everyone. For myself and for our family, there was a, uh, a bit of embarrassment in terms of having to be on welfare. Um, I remember back in the day... Um, they had the food stamps, not like the EBT cards, like the actual like Monopoly money paper and stuff like that. And um, it wasn't like my brother really wasn't a fan of like taking that to the to the uh, grocery store. And so I became the kind of the grocery shopper and the couponer <laughs> in the journey. I'm like, all right, I'll take on the, the tabs, you know, because when you go to the register and you give them, you know, the food stamp or the money and stuff like that, there's there's just a look that is being given to you or a feeling and it could be internalized it could be also something that they're actually doing um was there situations where both those things occur and so that's just i think again when we if we approach people with like gentleness in every scenario or you know a, a little bit of patience a, a little bit of love um then it would have erased the the feeling or the stigma of that um and and so um, I don't think it's helpful to, to be uh, a villain against the, the uh, welfare program or the government program. Um, and at the same time, which is a very different question, I think it's always helpful to be able to improve ways in which people can grow uh, into economic wealth and stability and things of that nature. Um, and I don't think the two have to um, work in, in union. Being a villain... And also, like, and that being a villain is actually improving the, the social economic system. Because I think a lot of times people villainize things because they don't want that thing, a, a particular part of that thing to occur. For example, let's say people who are abusing the welfare system, 
They don't want mm-hmm. they don't want the abuse of the welfare system to occur. Therefore, they talk crap about it and they they villainize it and so on and so forth. All of those things aren't actually going to improve the very thing that you want to see improved. And so if you use your energy in a different way, in a more constructive way, as opposed to just being a villain towards it, I think you'd have a lot more success. I guess that'd be my take on the situation. Um, yeah, the nonprofit. Like, so so uh, our nonprofit's called Broken Hearts Ministry. We actually just started uh, as a group of college kids that were interested in coming into the LA area and caring for those that were living and working on the streets, some experiencing homelessness. Uh, our first approach was uh, uh, seeing if we could look towards caring for those that were in uh, the female population within sex trafficking and and uh, prostitution and so on and so forth. And our actual approach um, and our scope expanded beyond that. And, and so we, we like to um, say that we serve all of those that are experiencing brokenness. Um, and brokenness, we say, looks differently no matter where you're at. So whether you're housed or home, you can have an experience of brokenness. Um, whether you're um, living in addiction or whether you're experiencing mental health concerns, you can experience a bit of brokenness. Um, you know, or you know, you could be in a Fortune 500 company and just falling out of your, you know, out of your mind, and you could still be experiencing that brokenness. And 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 the common thing for us is that. Um, we like to say that we've all experienced some type of brokenness in our lives, some way, shape, or form. And um, yeah, who wouldn't love to have some justice, <laughs> some restorative justice put back into their lives? And so um, that's really our charge to be out there um, uh, to make all things new and to bring a wholeness to a situation um, that maybe looks uh, a little uh, bleak or... Um, maybe makes them feel like they've been disqualified or they're in deep despair and to bring a life and a newness and a wholeness uh, into their situation through conversations that we have, uh, through kind of connecting the dots, bridging the gap between uh, resources that they might need um, and um, uh, availability that we have and also just bringing the grace and truth of the gospel to uh, the community um, right on the streets. And, And so for us, um, what it looks like on an everyday basis um, is, you know, the nine to five time is uh, a lot of resource building. Um, so if folks are looking for housing, job, employment, things of that nature, teams are working both on the streets and in the offices towards that. Um, we have a very awesome event every Thursday night um, called the Refuge Service. And uh, that's when they, uh, the community meets uh, in Hollywood and um, we, we do a church service on the streets there for our whole community. Uh, we do a meal together there. Um, and uh, on the very last Thursday of the month, we uh, do a free laundry for anyone and everyone that wants to come on through. Oh, wow. Whether housed or unhoused and, um, and a really big home-cooked meal and a band and all the whole nine yards. And so we'll have, you know, 50 to 100 people there uh, celebrating in and, and Hollywood and and having a good time um, uh, to just hang out and enjoy each other and enjoy each other's company and so on and so forth. And, and we really feel like uh, for that for that type of event, it creates um, some stability and, and some routine and some commonality um, 
to things that our community was once familiar with before they maybe were uh, impacted with a situation that led them to the streets. And one of those things being like the church community, uh, because some of our friends who are living and working on the streets, they've kind of uh, gone away from the traditional Sunday service where they're in the walls and they're, they're, they're there day in and day out because maybe they feel like they're a little bit different than the people that are in the normal traditional Sunday setting and so on and so forth. And, and so we bring them out there on Thursday, we create that environment and we say, no, Sunday's for you too as well, just as much as it is for anyone else that's uh, sitting in those, in those seats. And so we connect the churches back to um, the community as well that's, uh, that may have wanted to do that and, and be a part of it and stuff like that. So that's a little bit about what we do. How long have you been operating? Uh, 15 years. 15 years, yeah. So No small thing, because there's, there's a lot of nonprofits in L.A. That's, a, that's, that's not a small thing at all. Like, Because it's not yeah. easy to keep a nonprofit's doors open and then no. 15 years. That's uh, commendable. To, to be a volunteer when you're the executive director of a nonprofit <laughs> after 15 years, and you serve right. people who are really, really hard on their luck, right? Like, from what you're you're saying like that's, mm-hmm. those are hard stories that a lot of people can't or have a hard time interacting with and obviously you've been there in, in a certain fashion but like how do you maintain that spirit like you're a positive guy you know <laughs> that's a great question I, you know i'll tell you this like when uh when it was at the climax of certain things not going well for our organization uh and you asked me that question <laughs> back then Different answer. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I mean, I'm real, right? I'm human. Like, we we got the wind taken out of us. You know, we got our butts kicked. Um, But, you know, if you're able to, in any scenario where you're getting kicked or defeated uh, for a good work that you're doing, if you're able to pause and just note the effects that it's having either on, you know, the people around you, your loved ones, your clients, um, yourself, maybe more like relationally, spiritually, um, that can give you the motivation to continue to persevere in whatever that you may be able to persevere in. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to like, struggle through something that just isn't supposed to work and, 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 and maybe you got to move on and do some other things. But uh, for me, uh, one of the things that was really cool is, you know, we'd show up and, and, and um, to, you know, grab some mail or something and there'd be like a, a, a card in there from uh, one of our uh, community members. And it would be like, hey, you know, I just want to thank the Broken Hearts team for all the work that you guys have been doing. It's been three weeks since I've been in my house. And here's a picture of what I've put up here. And it's got like, you know, one of our, like a Bible from our, like, did a Bible study or something like that. Or it's got like, you know, some movie tickets because we took them out to the movies to just like go hang out and stuff like that. And, 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 you know, and it'll just have it in their handwriting, you know, and like, and, and it will like a special they'll you know they'll spell they'll share a special story about our engagement with them they'll typically invite us over and we'll go over and eat you know eat eat food and um 
sometimes we say we like it even if it's not that good. <laughs> um, it's called you know, being polite. Yeah. That's all. You know, there's yeah, honesty right, right, and then there's being yeah, polite, yeah, right? It's, it's at a point, you know, and then... Mm. Um, <laughs> this, what is this? Spaghetti? No, it's and, fish. Right, right. And, and so it's, I mean, that's, that's encouragement, right? Or you see someone light up or they ask you a certain question, you know, when you're having a conversation or you're doing a counseling session with someone, um, uh, whether that be through the relationships that they're going through or the trauma they've experienced in their life, and you're, you're able to engage them in a way that you see breakthrough, I mean, it's just great. And so then you just, for me, it was just like, all right, so I have that, and I got to figure out how to balance, like, keeping light bills on and, you know, living life and so on and so forth. So that was, that was the persevering, is figuring out, like, what has to be... Uh, implemented in order to um, continue to strive and move forward and uh, is there a way in which uh, that thing that is implemented can finance the very thing that I love and I'm passionate about and so on and so forth and that's the journey that I'm on now is this you know discovering how how those worlds can meet so yeah you mentioned you've done it actually a couple times and I've heard one other person would would do this uh, community members. You don't say like homeless people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing it's intentional. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's intentional. It's very intentional. Uh, and the first time I heard it was probably four months ago now. Somebody was like, "Well, why are we, why are we running an event for the homeless? Like, aren't they people? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, aren't we just having an event for people to come to? Like, and in this, like, they may be down on their luck. They may not have a house. They may not, but whatever. Like, is that what? Is that who they are? Like, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. They're homeless, like that, that. That's how you define them, mm-hmm. and it it just kind of got me thinking, like, man, like how much, how much of the problem is because we don't see them as people. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just people, yo. Like, mm-hmm. and and we've Keith and I've talked about this a lot. We've talked about it with a couple guests that this thing that happens where you when you name a group of people something, and and then basically it just puts up a barrier for you to say mm-hmm. that couldn't be me, mm-hmm. whether it be whether it be in reference to the Nazis or be in reference to black people or mm. be in reference to the homeless, like, well, I'm safe. Like, I'm not, like, I can see a discrete difference between me and that group. I'm not them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like the, you're, I, I, th- I think, if I'm counting, I think you've done it like three or four times. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> our, community, our community members are. We, or if I say the word homeless, but one of the things that we try to do and people within our, in our community we try to do is we, we say people who are experiencing homelessness are, you know, so that it's, you know, people first and then something that people would be able to relate to. They are, they are currently without home. Or we'll also say that people who are, who are currently without home and people yeah. it, like normally it slows them down and goes, what? Like, currently without What'd home. What is, what, what is he saying? He's like, yeah, we got to use the English. We got to use the English sentence structure here, people. <laughs> it's not. It's Do you not think nice. part of that? Like Some people are doing it. Hugh, as much as as much as I regret to have to end this conversation at this point, um, for the sake of time, we're gonna have to let you go for today. Um, but before we do, we always like to ask: Is there something? If there was one thing that you could leave, or is there one thing that you would like to leave with our guests or with our listeners? Man, I think the thing that I would uh, leave with your listeners is to to be relational, 
and your approach to life. I think I'll leave them with that. <laughs>